The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. Been down Louisiana, give me a mojo hand. Been down Louisiana, give me a mojo hand. Welcome to The Crude Life at Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us here at The Crude Life Week in Review. On today's episode, we talk with William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, with our weekly Davis Refinery update. Of course, the Davis Refinery coming to Belfield, North Dakota, close to those arteries, the interstate, rail, all kinds of different things. What a boon it's going to be for western North Dakota as we get closer to the Davis Refinery and the historic Davis Refinery, we should say. It's the first greenfield refinery to be built in the United States in the last 50 years. It's going to set the standard for uh, refineries going forward is for, in terms of technology and clean energy. William Prentice with our weekly Davis Refinery update coming in just a moment or two. Also, Mark Fox joins us. He's the chairman of the three affiliated tribes in Fort Berthold Indian Reservation there, Mandaree, North Dakota. Mark Fox with us talking about a new facility being built, donated by uh, Crestwood. It is for a head start out in Mandaree, North Dakota. It's going to give some Native Americans a head start out there on the reservation. Outstanding interview coming up with Mark Fox in just a moment or two. And then and then Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. He gives an update about Wyoming and their annual meeting coming up in just a moment or two. Later on in the program, Pete Obermuller right here on the Crude Life Week in Review. All right, my name is Jason Spies. We've got Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming, Mark Fox, chairman of the three affiliated tribes, and, of course, Mr. William Prentice coming up right now. William Prentice, the CEO of the Meridian Energy Group. Let's start off by talking about, so how are you guys saving the planet these days? <laughs> well, yeah, Jason, thank you. Um, well, you know, that you mentioned the shell revolution. It's changed the industry, uh, and not just in the United States, the entire world. Um, quite frankly, in the United States, the refining industry doesn't know what to do with all this crude oil. It's kind of used to sipping out of tankers along the coast for the last five or six gener- or decades and uh, doesn't know what to do with it. Um, also, we're kind of tired of seeing pollution from major industrial plants. So when we got started on the Davis refinery, uh, we decided to do something quite a bit different. Uh, when we filed for our permits uh, as a full conversion refinery, as a minor source, uh, oil and gas journal called it historic so uh, i'm glad you also believe it's going to be part of the history books and we're committed to making it historic <clears throat> what we're doing is we're cheating uh, we're starting with a blank sheet of paper uh, we're designing a refinery that uh, is geared to saving every hydrocarbon it can from becoming pollution and becoming part of our finished products uh, when, you know, refineries were being designed 100 years ago, uh, crude was dirt cheap, so it wasn't really worth it. Nobody really thought about pollution back then. But when I see something that could give rise to an escaped hydrocarbon, I see dollars and cents floating away. We're not going to do that. Um, the refinery we're building in <clears throat> North Dakota is designed only to run on Bakken oil. 
And when you design a project to run on a single crude oil, you don't have to design a lot of uh, what what the refiner industry calls complexity into it. In other words, you don't put excess iron on the ground and and have to heat it up all the time. And it's just only the equipment you need for that particular crude oil. And Bakken oil is probably the the best oil to refine on the planet. You could argue that Saudi light was a little bit easier to process, but I really don't think so. Um, so we're starting out, you know, as I said earlier, by cheating. We're building a single-purpose refinery, very, very highly efficient refinery from a capital and a material point of view, and it's going to be much, much cleaner because we're going to integrate into the design and have integrated into the design the latest, uh, you know, technological innovations from the last 40, 50 years. Um, and you mentioned uh, the Permian. Um, West Texas crude, in many respects, is very similar to Bakken oil. Um, and so we're going to replicate the Davis refinery down there and, uh, and introduce Texas to a new kind of refinery as well. Now, that is called the Walton Station Refinery, correct, down in the Permian? Yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the area that this refinery is going to be located in, uh, just north of Kermit, Texas, is an area that's been ranched by the Walton family for generations. Not, not the Walton family from the TV. Huh. And, and there used to be a stage uh, line that ran through it, and a stage station was at the ranch house. So they asked us if we would... Uh, mind calling it Walton Station and agreed that'd be a great name for the project. So Yeah, and um, so correct me if I'm wrong, though, because the thing that we've been talking about in this program is that, you know, the one thing that's really cool about what you guys are doing is you're going to set the global standard when it comes to refineries. The part that, you know, some people might maybe kind of rib you guys a little bit is that, well, by default, then you're going to be the global standard because you're the first people to do it in 50 years. Uh, is that going to roll over into the Permian? Is that kind of the idea here that that same similar technology, you touched on it a little bit with the um, similar crude oil, but is it just from a 5,000 foot view, that's what we're talking about, right? Taking that technology, bringing it down to the Permian? Yeah, we've, uh, we've essentially integrated all of this new technology into a new kind of refinery. Uh, and that's our that's our trade secret. That's our secret sauce. Uh, this exact same design with slight modifications because, you know, the uh, West Texas crude has a slightly higher sulfur content, so we have to do something uh, different on that score. But other than that, it's the same deal. It will also be permitted as a synthetic minor source, and uh, there's no reason why we can't do this in every shale basin in the U.S., is that kind of the idea? You know, I mean, I'm not saying that's on your business plan, but is that kind of, you know, the maybe after hours talk is, you know, ideally we'd like to do this in every show play? Well, you know what? It's, it's what we have to do. Uh, we've decided that we're going to be an industry game changer. Uh, we're disruptive by nature, and the way you do that is by showing up uninvited and doing what you do. So that's our that's our our strategy is to do this throughout the United States and take the Davis uh, refinery, if you will, on a roadshow. Um, you know, and, and a lot of investors in our company are North Dakota residents. And, you know, it took us a long, 
time to get our permits. It took us longer than we, we thought it would. Uh, we had to invest a lot of money in engineering to get those permits done, more so than any other refiner has ever had to do. So we're going to get that money back for our investors by doing this over and over again. And that was William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, spearheading the Davis Refinery coming to Belfield, North Dakota. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, the chairman of the three affiliated tribes with the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation. We interview him in Mandaree, North Dakota. This is the chairman, Mark Fox. My name is Mark Fox, the chairman of the Mangan Hidatsun and Nation. And we are here today in Mandaree, North Dakota. Actually, it wouldn't be North Dakota, it would be the... Uh, well, Fort Berthold Indian it's, Reservation. It's the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, but it is uh, located in Mandaree, North Dakota, and that's, uh, that's just recognized as well. And uh, Mark Fox, what, what is it that you are officially the title of, of your um, leadership role here? Well, I'm the chairman. I'm the elected chairman of the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Rikara Nation. Uh, Fort Berthold is about a million acre reservation, uh, half of that held in trust uh, by the federal government. Um, I lead a council of about seven members, six uh, districts, uh, one representative from each district, and I'm elected at large. Talk to me about your relationship with the oil and gas community. Judging by what I witnessed today, it seems like you have a very good relationship. You know, you know, we have a, I just have to be candid about it, we have a very good relationship with a number of oil industry partners, but of course, you know, we live in the real world, which sometimes uh, you don't get those good partnerships with all of them. But nevertheless, today we're celebrating a very positive relationship with one of the primary uh, midstream companies on Fort Berthold, and that's uh, 
the Crestwood Company. One of the things that I've talked with um, Missouri River Resources CEO David Williams about is there's a unique time happening right now in the Native American community with connection with the oil to where the investments like we're seeing today with Crestwood with the $2 million building here, the Head Start, it's empowering. Gener it's empowering the communities, not just yes. lifting them, it's empowering generations. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's, you know this whole thing with the, our choice, our choice as a nation to, to develop our energy resources. Uh, you know, that doesn't, that, not uh, a given across Indian country. There, there are a number of tribes who don't endorse or who don't support uh, energy development of their own resources. Ours does. Our, our nation, uh, the, allot, the allotted uh, portions to individuals as well as uh, the tribe as a whole, we do support uh, development of oil and gas, one of our resources here. But it, it's really about, it's about uh, a benefit as well. So about 80% of our people are not significant beneficiaries of oil and gas, 80%. They don't get monthly royalty checks from an oil company, they don't have uh, mineral resources. So they rely on what the tribe does. And, and, and so if the tribe is, has taken the resources collectively on their behalf and we're managing it with jobs, economic opportunity, revenue, uh, we take those things and we build, what I said, tangible benefits. When they see uh, infrastructure in the ground, they see programs, educational, medical, health insurance, all these different things. When, when those individuals in particular who don't stand a benefit directly from oil and gas uh, realize that they, they benefit as a whole, uh, as a part of the whole, then it really it sells well uh, in, in the endorsement of our people. One of the things that caught my attention was on our programs, we talk about the energy investment in the communities. That was mentioned today, but then there was the caveat that you didn't let the other energy companies off the hook that we're not investing in their communities. We have a lot of uh, energy enthusiasts and executives that listen to these programs. What kind of message do you want to be left with for those who do not mm -hmm. invest in the communities? Because the, the, like what Crestwood is doing today is tremendous. You guys were very grateful for, for their investment, but you're not letting everyone else off the hook. Agreed. Uh, we, we can't. Uh, and that's the way business is done, not only in the United States, but around the world. You know, companies come in and they, they reap a, a, a benefit, right? Um, they reap a benefit by, by uh, interacting on development of a, of a resource. And so for our situation here, we've got, like I said, some, some companies like Crestwood, today we're celebrating millions of dollars investment into uh, something that doesn't necessarily mean a direct benefit back to how they operate, but in general shows their investment into the community, shows their investment into the, the public and into what goes on there. And so, but we have a number of companies who do not. And, and, and it's just been uh, so tough uh, working and coordinating with some of them to say, you know, if you want to be part of what we've got going on here, if you want to have a vision of long-term economic benefit, you need to interact and you need to do those types of things because that's what we're forced to do as tribal governments. As a tribal government, we have to take those revenues that we realize and benefit and we create that benefit. So without that in place, you know, it's really difficult. If it's just one side is doing it and the other is not, it's hard to build things. And, and these are multi-million dollar projects. So oftentimes you see the tribe having to phase things out, maybe one, two, and three-year phases because 
as much as there, people might think there's an endless supply of, of revenue here, uh, it, we've done well as far as revenue, but it, it's not what people sometimes imagine. So the, the resources are still limited, but we're trying to build that infrastructure. So the message today you heard, and you always hear me, uh, whether it's in Bismarck, North Dakota, or Washington, D.C., you know, put up or shut up. Or more more likely, is you're just here to make a quick buck and to flip that. Well, why don't you flip it today and and and, and allow us uh, to work with somebody who's more willing to invest into the community, is more long-term thinking, and that's how we positively benefit. So on the flip side of that, we're here today celebrating a building dedication, a Head Start building dedication. The symbolism behind that's tremendous. To start with the yeah. the, the pre-K, the youth. Uh, talk to me about the investment that Crestwood has made in the community and how the community has responded. I think the, the community has responded really well. You see that today, and I think you're going to see uh, great appreciation continue to grow. As the children come here in August, you know, a uh, little later, later part of August, and all the families who may not be able to stand here today, they're going to be standing around. They're going to come in and say, wow, this is nice. My child is happy. They're learning things. You're going to see that, that, that support and that enthusiasm grow. And so, you know, uh, I don't want to ever take that for granted. Uh, what Crestwood has done here has really been significant, and, and I, I, I want to uh, uh, mention that, that it's no small thing. And uh, our nation, because we're always, always struggling to do things and build things, when you get a company like Crestwood who comes in and says, we understand you've got so much to, to build. You have so many things that need to be fixed, so to speak, uh, things that need to be uh, developed. Uh, when they come in and say, we're going to help you with that, it, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. So. Quite a few dignitaries showed up. This seems like a pretty big deal for a town of how big's Mandaree? Well, you know, right here by community members, there's less than 1,000 people. Here I, I was going to say 300. But you know, sorry, I didn't, there, didn't there's mean, more. Okay. Uh, you, know, you know, I think but the population is between six and 700 people okay. in the outlying, outlying areas. It's spread out a little bit. Yeah. It's spread out a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, that it's less than 1,000. And so it's a small community, a tight-knit community. Uh, community, but at the same time, you know, it's one that's in the heart of the blocket. And I brought this up a year ago and a half a year ago. You know, what, what Mandaree is today is obviously changed from what it was 10 years ago, but where Mandaree will be 10 and 20 years from now is really significant. And we can't make the mistake of, of thinking that, well, maybe it grows, maybe it don't, we'll just go one day at a time. I believe that there's going to be continued growth. And if there's going to be continued growth, which I believe there is, and I think most do, then you've got to put the supporting infrastructure in place as well. Education, fire protection, we're going to be building a brand new uh, fire hall and emergency response center as well. All these things that you see in bigger cities, we've got to put them in the ground and then expand out. Mm -hmm. But it, it doesn't do any sense to bring uh, a thousand more people in or thousands after this uh, with houses and what have you, but not have the infrastructure. We've got to have that first. Final thoughts here. I like to leave interviews so the guests can take it whatever direction they want, so it's not framed by me. So if you want to reiterate something or we left something out or kind of the floor is yours, sir. I appreciate that. I think the most significant thing here is, you know, when, when, when people, you know, listen to tribes and tribal nations talk about their plights and, and how they, you know, trying to uh, develop and, and trying to undo things that have been done uh, to tribal nations for the last hundred years and failed U.S. policy. We all know that most reservations suffer economically, socially, and 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 by medical, uh, you know, disproportionate effects on our our, our population. 
Uh, we suffer greatly on a reservation. And now you have this reservation taking its resources, valuable resources, and trying to build something and, and, and address that. But what we have here today is uh, this Head Start, this preschool institution that we uh, have, have partnered with uh, an oil company on. Uh, that's going to make all the difference. And that was Mark Fox, the chairman of the three affiliated tribes, Fort Berthold Indian Reservation. We did it out in Mandaree, North Dakota, where they just christened and cut the ribbon for a brand new Head Start facility. Awesome work out there. Crestwood, awesome work out there. Fort Berthold Indian Reservation as well. Thank you, Mark Fox. The interview can be found at thecrudelife.com in its entirety. Also, we have other exclusive interviews in our social media network there as well. That is thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Check out our past interviews, full-length interviews, and our social media. That is now over 350,000 people in our network. Check it out at thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is The Crude Life Week in Review. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. I want to. Down in the Delta... Where there is shelter, no helter skelter, no blues around. I'm on my way now, most any day now. I'm Delta bound. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Appreciate you joining the program here today. How about we start off by a little state of the union, except state of Wyoming. Where, where are we at with the oil and gas world? I've been saying, you know, the BLM has put some sort of ban in with the uh, Wyoming BLM land, but maybe that's not uh, totally accurate. So how about uh, kind of an overview? Yeah, you know, we are uh, we're doing okay. Uh, in fact, we uh, are you know, sort of slowly and steadily improving from the uh, sort of uh, bottom that we hit about uh, three or four years ago. And uh, so production is, is up uh, over the last couple of years. Um, the rig counts are up uh, and employment is up. Uh, employment just, just slightly. Uh, but uh, but all, all things considered, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well. Um, with reference to the BLM uh, that you mentioned, yeah, there, there's some interesting uh, court challenges going on there. It's not a full sale a full on ban on drilling on, on, on BLM lands. Uh, it was 300,000 acres and it was a pause relating to analyzing greenhouse gas emissions uh, that the BLM has rectified. And so uh, it's, that's still moving, that's moving forward now. 
Got an annual meeting coming up, I see, on social media. Talk to me a little bit about the annual meeting. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's uh, This year it's in Cheyenne, uh, our capital city, and uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. And it's, uh, it's, it's going to be good. Registration is strong, and we have a lot of great uh, speakers lined up. Uh, including, uh, you know, our governor, Mark Gordon, um, our United States representative, Liz Cheney, and uh, our keynote speaker is uh, uh, a pollster and big data analyst from Washington, D.C. Her name is Kristen Soltis Anderson, who actually has done a fair amount of work in the uh, public opinion space for energy, uh, environment, and climate. And uh, so we're going to talk about that uh, and learn from her, hopefully, about how to better message. What do you think the number one issue in Wyoming is right now in terms of what's the number one thing that you guys need, I guess, changed or modified in order to get more activity there? And what's the number one thing that you guys are finding successful? Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I hate I hate to hedge, but I, I would say there's a few number ones. Uh, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, and uh, one of them is – uh, the state of Wyoming is uh, completely altering its permitting process for oil and gas operators in the state. Uh, it's uh, changing uh, pretty fundamentally, and uh, that's uh, ongoing right now. The, the proposed rule is out, and, and will take a few few months to, to sort, but that's, uh, that's a really big deal for us, obviously. Um, the rest of it is... The rest of the number ones are all kind of related to uh, public lands and uh, and wildlife issues. Uh, really, obviously, more than you know, more than half the state is owned by the federal government, but um, more than two thirds of the of the subsurface of the mineral estate is owned by the federal government. So we have a lot of issues related to that. Um, sage grouse probably top of that list, uh, but also big game migration corridors. Uh, and and several others, migratory birds and, and all of that. We, we have uh, a lot of issues related to federal lands that uh, private land states uh, don't have to think about as much. Sage grouse, huh? So yeah. That's, uh, that, that's a big one in North Dakota, too. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's, uh, it's, the, the bird was... Um, uh, was uh, kind of on the short track, I guess, uh, could be said for uh, for listing on the Endangered Species Act. Um, Wyoming, there's sage grouse in, in, in all these sort of mountain west states and, and, and going further further east in North Dakota, but Wyoming is really kind of ground zero. We have probably the biggest and most highly concentrated populations in the states and uh, and, and the most area affected. So uh, an endangered species listing of the sage grouse would have been uh, catastrophic for oil and gas. So um, the state and uh, oil and gas and lots of other players um, Dating back all the way to the to the Friedenthal administration, um, two governors ago worked on a state-specific conservation plan um, that has uh, has not been without hiccups, but has largely worked and has kept the bird off the list. Um, so we still have some challenges with implementation, uh, but it is considering the alternative. It's uh, it's been going okay. How's the water world? In Wyoming, the water world, Wyoming. Yeah, I mean, it's it's much like you know most rocky areas where your water is very uh, abundant in some areas and non-existent in others. 
Yeah, that pretty well describes it. Yeah, I mean, so how, how, how does that work in Wyoming when it comes to – and the reason I ask is, like, in the Bakken in North Dakota, you know, shortly after the energy boom happened, they came out and said, geez, we're going to need 10 times the amount of water that we thought we were going to need. They Similar down in the Permian as well. And every time I think of, you know, some of these Mountain West states, you know, there's reservoirs there for a reason. You know, California complains they don't have enough water for a reason. You know, I mean, there's right. – there's, there's only enough to go around, and, and certain math equations need to be done. So if someone forgets to carry the one, whether it's city or state or a regulator, whatever it might be, um, it affects everybody, you know. So yeah. how, how's the water world in Wyoming? Long way to ask that question. <laughs> no, it's, it's helpful, and I'd, I'd actually be interested in learning more about, about the water challenges in the Bakken. That would be a helpful exercise for me. But you know, it's, it is, as you described, it's a little bit different depending on, 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 a, on where you are in Wyoming. There's a lot of, uh, of legacy fields, uh, in the central and, uh, central west and, and northwest part of the state that, that produce a lot of water. And, uh, interestingly, they, um, uh, there's a lot of that produced water in Wyoming that actually ends up being quite beneficial to landowners and, and ag operations in that part of the state. They they uh, they use that that produced water for uh, for beneficial uses in the Powder River Basin, which is you know where the uh, where the main development is now the the hot item uh, in the Powder River Basin. It's, it's a little bit different story. There's not quite the uh, the water supply there, and so uh, it's uh, it's a little bit more tricky. And a lot of the operators are taking a cue from uh, their work in the Permian, in the sense that they're working pretty hard to uh, implement, develop, and implement complete recycling uh, programs, and uh, you know, try to reduce the amount of of, of fresh water that's necessary. Uh, so it's it, it's a bit of an infrastructure challenge there, but I think we'll uh, we'll overcome it. How about the reuse and the recycled part of the water? You mentioned that, you know, the repurposing. I would imagine that um, there would be quite a bit of innovation or at least some, some talk of it within the state, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, in terms of the, of the recycle and reuse from, a, from an industry standpoint, that's pretty much private sector-led. That's mm-hmm. uh, industry working on that. It's the because the Powder River Basin is where the majority of our rigs are uh, and where most of the new production is, there's a little bit of a renewed focus on this issue uh, within uh, policymakers, um, uh, among policymakers, I should say. So uh, there is a lot of interest in that. And uh, it's really kind of uh, the PRB is still, um, you know, especially in comparison to Bakken or Permian, of course, is still is very new. So that the infrastructure isn't quite built out yet. You mentioned the Powder River Basin. Uh, is that primarily, I mean, that's a natural gas play, isn't it mostly? Or is, or is there other um, resources that they're getting out of there? No, they're getting, they're getting oil out of there. Okay. Um, there is, there is natural gas too, of course, but, uh, but it is an oil play. It is. Okay. Uh, what, yeah. what, what, what's the uh, overview there? I mean, as far as depth and some of the things. Would you happen to know anything like that? I mean, like in the Bakken, they're going going a couple miles deep, and in the Marcellus, they're going fifty feet. <laughs> yeah, it's it, well, yeah, it's not it's not fifty feet. I can promise you that. It's it's more like the it's more like the Bakken. Okay. In terms of the in terms of the depths, um, it may not be quite as deep as that. I'm not totally sure. The fact actually, the fact of the matter is, there's 
maybe this is true in the Bacchanal, you have to tell me, but uh, in the PRB, there's there's sort of multiple formations at different depths. Okay. And uh, uh, part of our part of the permitting challenge, of course, is that uh, um, you know you different companies are, are are interested in the different formations, and that that creates a little bit of a challenge in terms of, of making sure we organize all of this. But um, but none of them. None of the active formations that are producing uh, oil are, are uh, any sort of shallow operations. These are these are deep well horizontal uh, plays. Mr. Pete Obermuller, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back. We'll continue the conversation with Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Week in Review. To see Louisiana. I can hear them folks down there singing in that free and easy manner. I've been a rover, but now that's over, I'm Delta bound. I've been a rover, but now that's over, knee deep in clover, I will be found. I'm on my way now, most any day now. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Crude Life Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Peter Obermuller with us, president of the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Are you guys seeing a lot of uh, activity in the in, in the Bakken still from, from your companies and some of your, uh, whether it be uh, you know, service providers or providers, that sort of thing? I don't know how... how closely you keep uh, your, your finger on that pulse or not, but it just seems, you know, between the DJ and the Permian and the Bakken and even up in the oil sands, it, a lot of these companies are doing business in multiple shale plays. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true here. Uh, you know, we have uh, several uh, shared members between the Petroleum Association of Wyoming and the North Dakota Petroleum Council. Uh, a lot of uh, e- even some uh, individuals who are on you know each of our leadership teams. Uh, so that is uh, um, uh, there. There is some overlap there. It's actually pretty helpful. Uh, there's uh, I'm sure that you've probably uh, uh, talked to Ron Ness over there at, at NDPC, but uh, they're a very professional operation of uh, nothing but uh, but uh, respect for what they're up to and trying to model a lot of what we do uh, after what they do. And it helps to have uh, shared membership that can uh, help cross-pollinate 
some of these some of these good ideas. You know, during the to, more specifically to your question, when we when we experienced a pretty uh, severe downturn a few uh, about three or four years ago, uh, the Bakken was still uh, was going gangbusters, and uh, so a lot of companies in Wyoming. Uh, particularly the ones located in Gillette and in and around the PRB, uh, focused almost all of their attention on the Bakken. And, and, you know, we've had, you know, there's there's uh, several, there's lots of companies and, and lots of people who commute back and forth to work up there. That may change as PRB takes off a little bit more, but uh, but there's a lot of interplay between the two states and the two uh, the two basins. Colorado has been having some issues, uh, so much to where the governors said the war on oil and gas. Has that uh, impacted any any of your members, or are you hearing? Mu- I'm sure you're hearing much about it. Just kind of from your perspective in your catbird seat, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's interesting to watch our neighbors to the south uh, and, um, take the turn that they have, uh, particularly given how. Uh, how productive and how uh, helpful to the state in a lot of ways that uh, that DJ Basin uh, play was for them. So they're, they're still a long ways from figuring it all out. They, I, I can't remember the total number, but um, you know, a, couple, a dozen or more different rulemakings that they still have to do and, and, uh, and, and all of that. So we haven't seen a, um, an immediate uh, influx, uh, though there have been a couple of companies who had previously moved out of Wyoming who have moved back in uh, as a direct result uh, of the of the of what's happening in Colorado. I think it's sort of what we talked about before. Um, uh, you know, for Wyoming, our biggest barrier to entry is the difficulty of dealing with the federal government and, and federal lands. So uh, it's not as though looking north to Wyoming is an immediate. Uh, a fix for folks. They have to. They really have to ramp up their operations to, in sort of a different way, to deal with deal with federal lands and federal owned minerals. Uh, but I, I think we're seeing it, and we're going to see it continue. If, uh, particularly depending on how these rulemakings turn out down there. Kind of circling back to the annual meeting to kind of recap that a little bit. Uh, uh, when is the dates again? Some of the topics that you guys are going to be talking about. If there's any. Um, speakers or sponsors anything like that you you want to mention just kind of take the time to recap that a little bit and uh, give you guys a, a plug there at the petroleum association of wyoming yeah thanks i appreciate it yeah it's uh it is august 19th and 20th uh here in, in cheyenne uh wyoming's capital and uh the 19th we'll uh, be doing a little fundraising uh playing golf and, and, and shooting a little trap uh for fundraising and then we have a uh, a welcome reception at the governor's mansion that evening. And then uh, the next day is really the, the meeting proper. And I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, three general sessions uh, and then several breakout sessions. Uh, the general sessions, we have um, Casey Hammond, who's uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Lands and Minerals at the Department of Interior. And we'll, we'll be speaking to the uh, to the members and uh, U.S. Representative Liz Cheney, our House Representative from Wyoming. Uh, we're also going to uh, talk a lot about um, uh, there's a presentation from uh, some government agencies and some other entrepreneurs here in Wyoming that are uh, working to develop 
uh, recruitment tools for and and financing for um, oil and gas startups in Wyoming, which I'm really excited about uh, the opportunity to to partner with them, uh, and I'll be uh, making an announcement about that partnership at the meeting uh, to help uh, incentivize and foster um, new businesses and 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 entrepreneurship and startups in the oil and gas space. Uh, help sort of drive forward what's next in oil and gas. So that'll be a fun one. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then a lot of breakout sessions on a lot of topics, ranging from uh, uh, other recruitment issues. Our unemployment rate in Wyoming is 3.5%. So we have workforce issues, like uh, certainly like the Bakken. So we're going to uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll be talking to some legislators uh, and uh, hearing about Wyoming's budget uh, uh, and budget crunch issues, uh, taxation in Wyoming and uh, uh, several other uh, topics uh, um, on the docket for those breakouts. And then uh, the governor at the chairman's dinner that, that night. So it should be a good uh, one-day event, and uh, registration is strong, though uh, still uh, open for registration for another week or so. So um, would love to have even more. And that was Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. I'd like to thank you folks for joining us. I'd like to also remind you that we have all of our exclusive interviews available at thecrudelife.com. And that's going to do it for today's program. Once again, I'd like to thank Peter Obermuller for coming on today's program with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Mark Fox, the chairman of the three affiliated tribes up in Fort Berthold Indian Reservation. And William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group. We had a great show today. A CEO, a chairman, and an executive director. Wow, man. High-powered show on The Crude Life Week in Review. Of course, you can find all those interviews at our website, thecrudelife.com. We also have a daily update. If you'd like to subscribe to that, you can do that via our social media links, we have a YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, all kinds of different places you can find our Crude Life Week in Review as well as many radio stations. From the staff here at the Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. When I feel lost and separated And every step I take Falls on foreign ground And I feel like going back to North Dakota I'll Take a job and find a wife And finally settle down But right now I'm addicted to emotion Freedom at my selfish solitude provides And I'd hate to think that I'd become a stranger To the place where I was born Where my heart still resides Where the nighttime lights earth and light on the horizon Under the soft red glow of the wintertime sleep clouds memories come falling down on me. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. 
with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 